podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Back-to-back wins, unbeaten in five. Have the Rams found some steel and form at just the right time in the running? Hello, welcome to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent Derby County fans podcast. My name is Richard Kutcher, and over the next 30, 35 minutes or so, we'll be reviewing Derby's improved results, an intriguing new formation, and how we all think the promotion race in League One is going to shake out. Joining me, two brothers together huddled around a microphone in Tunbridge Wells, I believe, are Tom and Anton. Anton, how are you doing, chaps? How's the hosting going? Yeah, going well. It's quite nice to do a, a semi-in-person pod. Two-thirds two, <laughs> two of us here, at least. A uh, bit of a hybrid setup we've got going on. But yeah, we've had a good weekend, Tom, and uh, the family were down uh, last night. Pretty pretty chaotic with two uh, babies <laughs> under one, but uh, we, we managed to pull through. And you found you found a spare forty five minutes to record a Derby County podcast, so we definitely appreciate that. It was uh, put into the itinerary when we first came down that the podcast would be the main main event of the day. So <laughs> our respective partners and children are very happy about that. In fact, uh, Reggie's currently fast asleep, so long may that continue. <laughs> Yeah, big shout out to Ellie and Beth for allowing you to do this. Uh, Tom, it was your turn behind enemy lines when we played Bristol Rovers uh, a couple of weeks ago now. I believe you were in the posh seats, in fact. So I imagine kind of peering down over and below uh, Chris Parsons slumming it in your way. And how was, how was your experience there? Yeah, it was the uh, posh seats in inverted commas. Uh, we had a very nice sort of meal uh, and then a great view in the just above the press gantry uh, on the halfway line. Um, I wouldn't necessarily say that the memorial ground is renowned for its poshness. It's definitely <laughs> a, a rough and ready ground. It's a, a brilliant little ground, I would say. I do really enjoy it. That's seven or eight different stands and things. I could see Chris in the very far distance. I think I could pick him out just behind the goal uh, and definitely gave him some abuse. But um, yeah, Rovers were well worth their draw. Uh, penalty looked debatable for me at, at first glance. I said that on the Discord to you and you said um, that it looked, I mean, from the TV replay, it looked like a stone wall penalty. But when you see the the perspective that I had at the second replay, it does look a bit more debatable. Maybe White was fouled before he then fouled uh, the Rovers player. But I think Rovers deserved their draw uh, against us that day. I was going to say the the posh seats at the Memorial probably aren't quite up to the standards of the posh seats at the Oval Catch. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'd be surprised if they were, to be honest. So, uh, yeah, looking forward to that as well this summer. Um, we're going to talk a bit more about the Rovers game uh, in the second half, about a couple of incidents, including that penalty, because, yeah, there was definitely some disagreement even amongst the press and amongst the, well, the managers apparently were in agreement, but we'll get into that in the second half. So, as I said at the top, uh, back-to-back wins for Derby, and I make that the first time since late January when we won six in a row, there was back-to-back wins, which just sneaked into February when we beat Morecambe 5-0, but there was a sandwich around the West Ham defeat. Anton, how much uh, confidence do you think this kind of mini run of five unbeaten is going to give the players and perhaps almost as importantly, the fans with a, a big home game coming up against Portsmouth next week? Yeah, I mean, definitely more confidence than we had throughout February and, and March. I mean, I wouldn't say we're we're back to our best per se. We've kind of 
limped over the line a little bit in in the last couple of games and we haven't looked we, we haven't looked comfortable throughout the whole 90 minutes but what's been pleasing is that we haven't faded in the second half in in both of the last couple of games so I don't know whether that's by design or or just by a bit of bit of luck really but the the first halves have been a little bit more more cagey and a bit more pragmatic and we've kind of grown into the game throughout the second half and I think that's really worked in our favor we've had I mean, many a discussion about the fitness of the team going into second halves based on the nature of the the squad and the lack of preseason. But we haven't really seen that in the last couple of day, couple of games, um, which is good to see. So I wonder if that kind of slightly more pragmatic style, whether it was deliberate or not, uh, might be the way forward. Especially if if we get into the playoffs and and we have some some kind of big tough games against uh, better opposition. I think the 5-3-2 formation that we have been playing, um, we have players shoehorned into positions where they weren't effective. Mendes Lang is the obvious uh, candidate for that, playing at wing-back. He was just picking the ball up way too deep to be dangerous and effective. And we saw that against Bristol Rovers. It was so frustrating watching it from the side. Um, you could see the Rovers players able to get push push on to us and therefore not la- allow us to get out, especially in the second half. And they didn't really create anything Rovers on that day, but they were able just to pin us back. And it was just basically attack against defence for part of that uh, second half. And we were looking to catch, catch them on the counter, which we did quite nicely at times. But just in terms of the shape, you could see the players weren't really sure. And what was really concerning is that the midfield three in that 5-3-2, they looked very disjointed and disorganised and often way too flat. So one pass would take take all three of them out and sometimes even a wing back as well. So it was really easy for us to be carved open. Changing it to a 3-4-3 or 3-4-2-1, depending on how you look at it over the last couple of games, I think that's much better because you get the likes of Sibley, Mendes-Lang higher up the field so they're more dangerous. McGoldrick brings in as a hold-up sort of player and can bring players into the game. Uh, He did that really nicely when maybe Mendes-Lang should have scored in the first half against Burton, bringing the ball under control, giving it off to Howerhun, who then gave it to Sibley down the right, who's brilliant cross for me, should have been tucked away by Mendes Lang. So I much prefer the 3-4-3. I think that suits the players that we've got, even if it's not Paul Warren's preferred uh, formation. Yeah, I was going to dig a little bit deeper into that formation in a second because I've, I've really enjoyed it and certain elements of the play going forward. But as ever, we put yesterday's result and performance to our followers on social media asking for your five-word reviews. We've got a few good ones in. Um, Alex Fisher said, Thank God for David McGoldrick. Amen to that. More on him later, of course. Sam Mace said 343 is the way to go. Not quite five words. Not sure what 343 counts as as a word (laughs) count, but Sam, on topic uh, for sure. Richard Johnson, we need more shooting practice done. Joe Duran, it's the points that counts. Chris Hill, Derby brew up some form. And Nikki B said, Derby didn't ruin my birthday. So... Happy birthday to uh, Nikki B. Uh, the big talking point, chaps, of the game, of course, was uh, the game yesterday against Burton was the penalty awarded to Derby, which David McGoldrick put away in the 63rd minute for his 25th goal of the season. Lots of debate about penalties in the last couple of months, both for and against Derby, and perhaps we'll, we'll discuss the Bristol Rovers one again later. But what were your thoughts, Anton, on Joe Powell's trip on Max Bird? Would we have been gutted if that was given, or was it a dead cert penalty for you? Yeah, I mean, there's certainly been a few debates over penalties, haven't there, this season. Um, it's nice to be on the right side of a decision uh, for once. It seemed like we've certainly been on the wrong side more often than not. For, for me, yesterday was a pretty much a stone wall. I, I saw plenty of debate on social media. There was a bit of debate on our Discord channel as well. 
over how soft it was, whether it shouldn't have been given because um, Bird was going away from goal. But for me, the, the defender, it's it's one of those classic situations where defender takes a bit of a heavy touch and he, he almost doesn't know that the attacker's there behind him and he, he just tries to clear the ball as he would if he'd taken a good touch and Bird just steals in and he gets caught. Whether he's going away from goal or not, he's nipped in, he's read the play well and it's it's a stonewall penalty for me. I'm not sure there's too much of a debate there. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, Max Bird does really well to shut down uh, Powell, nicks the ball and then granted he's going away from goal but he's still, he's still tripped and he's impeded there so he goes to ground. Um, something similar, much more clear cut I think happened in the FA Cup semi-final yesterday. I think it was Daniel Jebison tripping uh, the Man City player. Um, I think it was Bernardo Silva. He just didn't realise the player was behind him and Silva nipped in and, and Jebison took him out and he was kind of shocked because of the, the way the player came uh, from nowhere and then he obviously fouled him and the same thing happened yesterday for me a stonewall penalty and I'm actually surprised we got given it because um, most of the time we don't get those sort of decisions and it feels like it's been very frustrating with some of the officiating this year and I could I could definitely sit, feel that frustration starting to build into Derby's play we'd had so many chances so um, brilliant penalty as well I would say I would take I would say credit to the ref actually as well. I know I agree with you both. I think it's it's a hundred percent a penalty. He trips him, um, but just nips in there just before. And as you say, full credit for Max Bird for being alert to to be sharp enough to get there actually just before the defender after his heavy touch. But it's a kind of one which is easy not to give as well. I think I think it's quite easy to referee to go, oh, they kind of hit the ball at the same time when they got there, and it's just kind of a coming together. So I think fair play to referee for giving it. I do have sympathy with the idea of if a player is going that far away from goal, I mean, that's not the rule. The rule is that's a penalty. Fair enough. But similar to some of the accidental, very, very soft handball decisions given nowadays, I wonder if there should be more of an opportunity for, um, in the laws of the game, more of an opportunity for kind of indirect free kicks, for giving, for things like that, which I just don't think it really warrants a free shot on goal that a penalty is. It doesn't matter what, direction you're going in though at the end of the day if a foul's a foul and it's it's yeah. it's binary really it's it's either a foul or it is not. and that, that's how the law that's how the law currently is i'm just suggesting that maybe if not that we often do change the laws of the game very often but i would like to see some more nuance in that I mean, it's a penalty yesterday because that's the laws of the game i get that but i just wonder if when it comes to those kind of soft hand balls those kind of fouls it's not designed it's not you know it's not denying a goal scoring opportunity in, in any way whatsoever is it no, but you, I mean, you wouldn't bat an eyelid if that was given as a foul in your own half. If you're going to kind of yeah, going back towards your own goal, um, even though you're going away from the opposition's goal, that's that's still a foul. It's a foul, way. but should it be a penalty? Like it, obviously, it's a penalty in the laws of the game. I'm just saying that it's just a trip, isn't it? Going in the opposite direction of the goal. I think it's the way that the rules of the game are. I don't know what I think. There should be more nuance in the kind of the kind of. Uh, free kicks or penalties that are given football's a simple game Kutch and I'm totally disagreeing with you here <laughs> um, keep, it, keep it as simple as it can be and I, if it's a, a penal or non-penal foul isn't it the penal foul would be a direct free kick or a penalty and a non-penal mm. is an infringement which is sort of accidental and is a, an indirect free kick and, and things if you trip someone doesn't matter whether they're going towards goal or away from goal it's a trip and that's a penalty and that's a direct free kick so you don't want to complicate it because then it comes down to interpretation because can you imagine being Derby being given 
an indirect free kick just because she was going away from goal. Well, my argument was that he was going to get the ball, turn and put the ball into the box. And then, yeah. and so therefore, it should be, a, should be a direct free kick or it should be a penalty. So I don't think we want to mess with that, that ball. And for me, you've got to blame the defender for not being aware enough and alert enough to get rid of the ball when he had the time to do so. And brilliant play from Max Bird to, to get back in there, win the ball back and then go under uh, go down under the pressure of the challenge and the Burton manager I think it's Marmio I think I'm not sure how to pronounce his uh, name him saying that it was not a penalty and it's like soft and a joke of a decision I mean that is just pathetic it's a penalty and he needs to open his eyes and have a look at the the replay again because and he needs to look at his defender for not doing his job properly rather than going and having a go at the officials the officials did well yesterday and that's a penalty just on the taking of the penalty, actually, um, I really enjoyed the the reverse angle that I, I saw on on Twitter of of like really focusing on Didzy's face as he took it. Um, he's just like deathly staring at the the keeper the whole way through, even after he kicks the ball. Um, he doesn't even check to, to see whether it's gone in or not. He doesn't look at, down at the ball at all, and he just knows exactly what he's doing. Really enjoyed that. Yeah, I think he has missed one this season, hasn't he? But I'm pretty confident that when he steps up more than our other penalty takers, I'm pretty confident he's always going to put it away. We were in control, though, of, of that game for most of the match. You know, after an early let-off when Deji Oshizala hit the post about 10 minutes in, which was a bit of a let-off. 62% possession, 23 shots on goal, 10 of which were on target in eight corners. Obviously, we definitely left some chances out there, some good chances and good openings. What has struck me, though, in the last two games in this new system is we do look, we just look a bit more dynamic going forward. I and mean, there's some more urgency and pace on the counter-attack too, which I've mentioned a few times on the pod before. I think we've lacked that all season. We've really lacked that directness. But in this 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-3, as Tom mentioned before, do we think Warren has finally landed on a system that is maybe best suited to, live, to delivering hashtag Warren ball up? Because he has seemed to be searching a bit for it since February, kind of trying out the three five two, which I think all of us don't particularly like. And in his post-match interviews, he's been describing Sibley and Nathaniel Mendes-Lang as kind of playing as two tens, and that's definitely what it looks like to me. And I quite like that because Sibley can kind of drift from the left inwards and out again. Nathaniel Mendes-Lang can obviously go and find space on the right, but they often do both stay quite central. Tom, do you think this is the, the closest... We've, we've come to kind of having all round pegs and all round holes. Yeah, I do. I think this is a much better shape for us and a much better uh, system. The five three two, as I mentioned at the top of the top of the show, um, I don't think it works with the players that we've got. Um, I do. I could see that happening in the the next year or so. But for now, the three four three, I think is really effective. We get bodies up up the pitch. Uh, we ask questions of the defenders. The free rolls that Mendes Lang and Sibley have got to drift inside and then outside as well causes defenders problems because the, the fullback, if he follows, then someone like Hayden Roberts is able to step in and, and go forward. A couple of times he he had a, a really good sort of driving run from the deep, the ball down to Max Bird in the first half, which was pulled back across for uh, McGoldrick was a brilliant chance and a, an excellent example of how to to play three at the back and to allow one of the players to go forward when a centre midfielder will drop in. Um, so it causes problems for the defenders and it causes problems for teams going forward. So like, I think it's a really positive shape. Um, it's what I'd like to see Derby continuing to play with for the rest of this season, especially given the players we've got. And it means that we, we put teams under pressure and we create chances, which is exactly what we've done in the last two games. Warren spoke himself about the importance of wing-backs in the 5-3-2 system. And we, the long and the short is we don't have any wing-backs. So I'm, I'm a little bit surprised he, he kind of went back to it, to be honest, having tried it out in the early stages of his career at Derby. I mean, we, we were on a 
a pretty barren run at the time so it's it's forgivable to to try and change things up but i hope that's that's we've seen the back of that five of the back system now until we do get some wing backs in which i mean long term might work well that we know that that's what Warren likes to play but at the moment with the current squad certainly the three four three or or uh, four at the back works much better i mean you, you mentioned the fluidity going forward there's also that little bit of fluidity in in the defensive shape as well chris mentioned last week how Corey Smith or, or anyone who's playing in the, the defensive midfield position kind of does drop in to allow um, Roberts or, or one of the other back line to, to kind of push on a little bit. I, I do like that. The what, one area that it still doesn't massively fill me with confidence is the defensive element of, of the formation. I'm, I'm not sure whether that's just through a little bit of lack of form, but we don't necessarily look completely solid at the back, um, e- even against the likes of Burton and Exeter and, and Bristol Rovers. We've we've conceded chances, and that does concern me slightly going into a potential playoff campaign when you're playing against better opposition, better forwards who take those chances. We could be punished, but given the, the squad that we have at the moment, I think it's the best option we have for now. I was going to say on that, I'm surprised actually that in if we're playing kind of two central midfielders, which we are, that Corey Smith isn't one of those two. Uh, it kind of worries me that maybe against the better teams, Bird and Harrahan could be a bit overran in that middle. Maybe Corey Smith's just been taken out because he's played a lot of games recently and maybe he needs a bit of a breather. And maybe against Pompey or even Sheffield Wednesday in those last two games, we could see him come back into the midfield and one of those drop out because I think Corey Smith just gives you just a bit more control and a bit more presence in in there. I would like to, I would like to see Bird and Smith uh, partner together in, in that too. Um, myself but do you think Tom it, this also gets a lot more out of the Fennel Mendes Lang and by extension then David McGoldrick because David McGoldrick strikes me as a kind of player with his link-up play and the way he's able to hold up the ball you get the best out of him if you've got players around him and Sibley and the Fennel Mendes Lang look like the kind of players that can make the most of, of McGoldrick's play if they can get close enough to him on the break. Yeah, I do. I do do agree with that. Um, Mendes Lang looked dangerous yesterday. He took on the fullback a couple of times down the left-hand side and put good balls into the box, which was impressive. Um, he had that good sort of half chance where I think he should have scored from Sibley's ball uh, across the box, which McGoldrick had initially set up there. So I think it's good to get people in and around McGoldrick so he's not having to, to battle on his own and it ca- causes the defenders to think about it because McGoldrick's such a clever footballer. Um, he sees things that other players don't necessarily see on the football pitch at, at this level. And as a result of that, if you've got two other players there, it's just questions constantly. Um, I do agree with you with regards to Smith. I think he's quite a tidy player. Um, I think sometimes he gets a bit bullied uh, by a sort of bigger, um, a bigger sort of midfielder when we've played some some teams and it's been a bit of a battle. I don't think necessarily he's got that sort of physicality to match. But I think yesterday it was important to to try and be creative, and that's where Bird and Howerhan. Uh, were the ones that were playing. And I thought Howard had a really good game linking the play up and lots of clever little passes and lots of sort of um, interchanges with with people in the midfield. And I thought he was quite possibly man of the match uh, for me yesterday. Um, Just going back to the 5-3-2, I'm sure I read, I think it might have been Dominic Dietrich um, who mentioned it, but I I can't remember exactly. I think Derby played 19 times 5-3-2. We've won seven of those games and we haven't been anyone in the top eight when we played 5-3-2. So for me, that just says the system doesn't work. Uh, with regards to like the sort of top sides, I think if we're going to have a chance of getting into the playoffs and then competing in the playoffs, three four three is the way to go for the rest of this season. 
Yeah, I'm quite hopeful that he has landed on the formula. Whether or not, whether or not it's enough to win the playoffs will remain to be seen. But I, it, I'm so much more confident in it than the three-five-two as we discussed, and those stats kind of bear that out as well. So. Yeah, I'm hopeful. And maybe we've found the right formula just late enough in the season that no one quite knows how to deal with it. Yeah, maybe. I mean, it definitely looks much more dynamic, doesn't it? Uh, in, in those attacking positions and, and getting Mendes Lang and, and Sibley and Didzi in the right areas is is all we can do, really. Um, what's what's slightly missing at the moment and what I'd love to see in the, the final two games of the season is a goal from Mendes Lang, a goal from Sibley, and potentially a couple of the midfielders as well, because we've become so reliant on David McGoldrick to score all our goals. And I mean, when you've got someone like David McGoldrick, chances are he will stick them away. But against better teams, then they may find ways to keep him quiet. So actually getting goals from all around the pitch, which we were doing well, very well before Christmas and just after Christmas, actually. But we just need those other attacking players to chip in and find a bit of form uh, I think t- Tom and I were chatting this morning I think think Tom you mentioned that Didzy's got our last six goals um, if that's yeah. right which is, is great for Didzy but we need to share that burden around a little bit more. Yeah, I think the last person to score who wasn't David McGoldrick was uh, James Collins in the penalty uh, against Forest Green. And on another note, it was uh, Tom Barkhausen who went through on goal in the last minute. Brilliant pass from Corey Smith uh, to set him away. And he was sort of running and he looked like full of confidence. He got towards the penalty area and that confidence disappeared. He hasn't scored for 19 games now uh, since he scored four in three, finishing with that brilliant finish against Cheltenham when uh, Chris and I were there. Uh, back in January, like, and he's only scored four goals for the club. I think he's a really talented player. He just obviously needs a bit of confidence because he looked like a an unplayable uh, individual back in January, and he's just completely tailed off. And he's he's fallen out of favour. He's got twenty minutes here, fifteen minutes there, kind of thing, um, and he's clearly not as trusted. But I'd like to see him back in that team, perhaps a similar sort of role and position as what Sibley's been playing. I think he would benefit from being uh, one of those two behind McGoldrick or Collins up front. Uh, in the 3-4-3 formation rather than being a wing-back. And I think that has really affected him. But it's about time that some of the other players did step up uh, to the goal-scoring responsibility. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying about Barkhausen. And one of the other reasons I like the 3-4-3 is that when you look at the the other options we have, Dobbin, uh, Barkhausen, even if Collins played in the number nine and McGoldrick could potentially play in one of those tens, like there are other options that can play those roles, which I think is why I think there's, there's kind of more opportunity for more round round pegs and round holes. And I thought exactly the same as when I saw Barkhausen going through on goal. I think that position would suit him well. It would give him a, a bit more attacking freedom. He does work hard off the ball. So I think there's options there for us to change it up, you know, if we need to. And uh, hopefully we'll start seeing some more players chipping with some more goals. But we will be back in the second half with more praise for uh, David McGoldrick. Tom's just ruined some of my stats I had lined up for that second <laughs> half. But uh, don't forget, you can get a bonus SBW podcast each month, as well as our welcome pack with free merch, competitions and extra content over at patreon.com forward slash Steve Bloomers Washing. Russell checking what's on in the box. It's a lovely ball. Dawkins, five! What an impudent finish from the Jamaican international. Backheeled it in. It's raining goals on the banks of the Thames. Hi, I'm Nathaniel Mendes-Lang and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing.
We really can't go much further, chaps, without talking about the 35-year-old goal sensation that is David McGoldrick. 25 goals for the season now. And as Tom was just talking about, he scored six out of our last seven goals. It was, in fact, the sixth last goals we scored across those uh, five unbeaten games a couple of penalties in there of course and a pretty scrappy one against forest green rovers but also two really nice finishes against exeter which i think pretty much sum up his quality in this division we've spoken a lot about Ditty this season how he's you know, a cheat code in this league and a class above but he is in this league and fortunately he does play for Derby County. But is it worth thinking about, Tom, exactly where we might be without him this season? Yeah, and I think certainly we'd be lower down uh, than where we are. Obviously, if we hadn't signed with Goldrick, we'd have had to have signed somebody else and who that person might have been. They might well have done quite well, but let's let's face it, when McGoldrick signed, I didn't expect him to score 25 goals in this season. Um, he was obviously 34, 35 when he, he signed for us. You're thinking, okay, he's had a good career, solid professional. He's scored goals pretty much everywhere that he's gone. Uh, will he continue to do that? And I was hopeful, but I wasn't expecting it. He's had a phenomenal season uh, and he's got to be well in for chance of winning player of the year. He scores all sorts of goals, as you say, scrappy ones, great strikes, penalties. He's just You just trust him to put the ball in the back of the net and he can do a little bit of everything. But not only that, he links up the play as well. So yeah. he's had a fantastic season uh, all round and long may it continue. And I hope that he has got another year in him, even if he doesn't have this, hit the same heights of goals and assists next season. I was going to say exactly the same thing actually about his, his all round game and link up play. Because although he scored all of those goals, I, I don't think you'd necessarily describe him as a, as a out and out goal scorer really. Cause he's, he's so much more than that. He's, he, he likes to, kind of drop into that number 10 role he doesn't necessarily play kind of on on the in, in the box on the on the last line of defense he he kind of brings everyone into the game um so you, you when you think about McGoldrick you, you don't just think about his goals um which is is incredible to think really given how many he's scored so 20, 22 goals in the league, then one every 117 minutes for Ditsy, which is the best in the division by quite some way. Anton, I think it's probably fair, but we also give credit to Derby's fitness and coaching staff for keeping him so fit and yeah. available, particularly these last month or so, getting him on the pitch as much as he has. Um, because yeah, I think he pretty much trains by himself most of the week from what we've seen and heard. And, you know, we know from hearing about other players in the past that sometimes you've just you just got to, when there's a player who's that good, but maybe, I don't know if fragile is the right word, but you've got to wrap him up in cotton wool. It is just all about making sure he's fit and ready to get on the pitch come Saturday or Tuesday night. Yeah, I mean, frankly, he can do whatever he wants during the week in, in training. <laughs> he, he can sit by the swimming pool for, for all I like, as long as he can turn out at, at three o'clock on, on a Saturday, because whatever he's done throughout the week, he's, he's going to be the best player on the pitch. And if we do get into the playoffs, um, it's... 100% reliant on whether we can keep McGoldrick fit and get him into the game. If if we can't, then we we certainly won't have enough going forward. If we can, we know he is a game changer. And in tight games against good opposition, you need a bit of magic at times. Um, and he's certainly a player that can provide that. This has been his best goal scoring and assist season of his entire career. I've just been looking up his stats. And the interesting thing I've noticed is that his first full season for a club appears to be his best. If you go back to 2012-13, he scored 16 and 22 for Coventry City before 
uh, moving to Ipswich halfway through the season. In his first full season for Ipswich, he scored 14 in 31. Then he moved to Sheffield United in 18-19. He scored 15 and 45, and then he scored 22 in the league in 37 games uh, this season. So he really goes to a club and really, really sort of does exceptionally well. He's always had that good goal scoring seasons, but not always making double figures. But at the same time, he's he's played a, an important part for all of those clubs, especially in that first season. Uh, and I'd love to be able to give him another contract into to reward him for next year, regardless of the division. I think his leadership and his know-how will be important in the dressing room as well. So what you're saying is we need to get promoted this season while he's on his first season spell. Yeah, I think so. Otherwise, uh, <laughs> otherwise he may not be uh, quite as prolific next year. But regardless, I mean, I think if we do... If we don't go up this season and we end up losing out in the playoffs or not getting to the playoffs, I think he's still an important part of that uh, team in League One next year. I think he'd be an important part of the squad if we went, did get up into the championship. I think we need to buy another striker regardless of what division we're in in the summer. So before we look then uh, at the final two games and the wider promotion picture, a few incidents to reflect on quickly regarding the sucker punch away draw at Bristol Rovers. Tom, you've, you've kind of already given your, your thought on that penalty uh, at the start. Anton, was, was it a penalty to Rovers? I, I mean, I, I do agree with Tom and we've we've spoken quite a lot about it this week on on WhatsApp and and Discord and and those channels, I I don't really understand how Warren and and the coaching staff can be that incandescent about it because it's one of those that's pretty fifty fifty for me. Um, it's yes, it's a little bit soft, but I think even when you look at the angle um, which, which came out later in the week of of kind of behind the 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 dugout where where it's a little bit more contentious. I think as soon as the attacker gets ahead of the defender, even if it's an accidental clash of legs and a bit of a bit of a tangle of legs, if you're behind the attacker, it's it's always going to be given as a as a, as a foul for me. So although yeah. White doesn't know he's there and it, it's it's a bit of an unfortunate one, as soon as he's he's kind of lost a yard. I think it's always going to be given a penalty. I also think that I understand having seen that other angle that Tom was talking about, and that's that's kind of more the angle I think that Paul Warren would have had. I, I can understand more why he was so uh, upset after the game and also why Joe Barton would have said to him, I don't think it was a penalty either because he would have had the same view as Paul Warren. But it's kind of irrelevant because that's not the angle that the referee was looking at. So the referee was looking at from a completely different side, the same angle that kind of we were seeing on TV. And for me, it's, it looks like a Stonewall penalty in that angle and the ref, and the angle the referee had. So I can understand why I can understand why Paul Warren's upset. But I don't. For me, it's there's no criticism of the referee. I kind of agree with your assessment that even if it's an accidental tangle of legs, then if the referee thinks that's what's happened and he's, and he's brought him down, then it's a penalty. And I don't. I, even the reverse angle, people have said oh, Harvey White's fouled by the Rovers player beforehand. I don't think he is. I don't think there's enough in it to, to show that White's been pushed over or, or whatever by by the Rovers player. So, look, it was a sucker punch. Rovers deserved the draw anyway. I just don't think it was the shambolic decision which, which the Derby management staff and some of the Derby media have made it out to be. And I think it's just kind of clutching at straws a little bit. The other, the other incident, Tom, 
which I actually found quite funny once I'd kind of calmed down from from losing those points was uh, Joe Wildsmith's time wasting during that match. And I was wondering if you thought it ultimately cost us because we saw the Rovers players taking the piss out of him when they did uh, score the penalty in their, in their goal celebrations, which I have to be honest, I did kind of appreciate <laughs> the piss taking shithousery of that uh, once I got over the draw itself. Was Were you getting frustrated by the time wasting? Was it too much that it ultimately cost us? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to come back. I'll come back to that one in a second. I'm just wondering, Kutch, would you think maybe an indirect free kick would be appropriate for Bristol Rovers? <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think it's that that one's either a penalty or it's not a penalty. We we need to take this indirect free kick discussion to the pub another time because I don't think you've quite got my point. <laughs> no, we haven't. No, we haven't. Um, I agree with what you said on the penalty though. Just to, to add my final bit, I think. From the referee's angle, it's a penalty. And I think it looks like it could be a foul on White. And if the officials don't think it is, then White definitely tangles with him and brings him down. So a draw is a fair result. Um, I did enjoy the celebration. I think it was uh, I think it was Loft that did the, uh, uh, did the sort of diving onto the ball. Um, it was yeah. quite frustrating. And about four or five minutes before, I've got a couple of mates who are Rovers fans, one of whom I was with on Saturday, another who was in the, in the terrace down... Uh, below us I sent him uh, a message as Joe Wildsmith dived on the ball and I was, this was like my goalkeeper with like a load of love hearts which kind of then came back to bite me on the uh, backside because of three or four minutes later we completed <laughs> but I was like it was a bit funny and ridiculous the amount of times that he went down injured and things and it's if it's your player fine but when it's someone else you can see the frustration and the Rovers fans were going absolutely mental uh, at him and then when they they got the penalty and equalized there was a good number of Derby fans both in the section that I was in, but then also in the um, behind enemy lines down below us. And we got a lot of grief for uh, that. And deservedly so. I think for me, you want to, you want to see football, don't you? And I know that it's part of a game to sort of waste a bit of time, but Derby started doing it so early. I think Wildsmith got yeah. booked about 58 minutes or something. Um, and actually thought yeah. it was a bit hard for to book him at that point because I didn't think he was really wasting time. He just moved, uh, he went from one side... I mean, the ball went out on the right-hand side. He took the goal kick from the left-hand side. I think that wasn't necessary for a booking at that point. But then he continued doing it and the referee didn't do anything about it. And I'd, I'd actually love to see a goalkeeper or a player get sent off for two time-wasting just to just to yeah. make the point. There was one point yesterday, the Burton goalkeeper had the ball for maybe 15 seconds with McGoldrick standing in front of him. Just get rid of that law, basically. <laughs> it's a pointless law, isn't it? Like, I, it then really needs to be a crackdown on that. Like, it's, it's supposed to be six seconds. And if the officials come out at the start of the season to say, it's going to be six seconds now. And if you take longer than six seconds, it's going to be an indirect free kick. Mm. I'm sure that will yeah. that 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 change quite quickly. There might be a bit of rage the first few times it happens, but it won't take long for, for goalkeepers mm. to learn about it. I mean, on, on time wasting generally, I, I, I hate the concept of it. And Tom's absolutely right. Like, if it's if it's for your team, then then it's great. If it's if it's the opposition doing it, then it's like the most frustrating thing probably that happens at, at a football game. Um, so I, I hate the concept of it generally because, as Tom says, you you want to watch football. That's what that's why we we all love the game. You don't you don't want to see people throwing themselves on the floor and, and wasting time. But having said that, we, we've seen so many teams do it to us and. Derby getting frustrated, players, fans, coaching staff, just like losing their heads a little bit, to be honest, um, as it gets towards the closing stages of the game. And we've kind of just completely lost our heads and, and not been able to get back into it. So if teams are going to do that to us, like you have to be a little bit savvy about it. And if we can do that to other teams and them to to lose a bit of momentum and, and for us to get over the line, like we saw 
against Exeter. Obviously, it didn't work so well against Bristol Rovers. But you've kind of got to do what you've got to do to to get the three points, especially at this stage of the season. Well, it sounds like Anton's definitely coming around to my indirect free kick ideas. <laughs> uh, so good, good to hear that. And um, I mean, I, yeah, I think they do need to crack down on it. And I think maybe maybe even if you extend it, so it's eight seconds or ten seconds, but it's going to be enforced. But it, either way, it has to be enforced because we see it at all levels, and it is just a joke. When you've got any laws like that which aren't being enforced, it kind of makes a mockery of the whole system. So yeah, all for that. And I think. It would, it would produce let's say it came into effect over the summer in time for next season the first few games of the season would be absolute carnage and it would be f- absolutely fantastic to watch uh, to see it all being cracked down on but anyway two games to go uh, then for well for most of the teams a few teams have three games uh, left for the Rams it's Portsmouth at home on Saturday Portsmouth now mathematically can't make the top six as, as far as my limited maths takes me uh, followed by Wednesday away the Sunday after who have had a bit of a wobble now find themselves outside the top two but very much in the hunt for the top two which it could be a dress rehearsal that game for a playoff semi-final tie if Derby were to finish sixth and Wednesday to finish third I was looking at the fixtures, boys, across the division this morning, and there really are some fascinating ones uh, across that top seven. Barnsley are going to have a huge say in how the whole promotion picture shakes out, and they still have a shout of making the top two. Barnsley v Ipswich on Tuesday night, which is going to be a, should be a good game. Barnsley v Peterborough, last game of the season as well, uh, and they're away to MK Dons in between. So they definitely have, do have a shout of sneaking into the automatics. Anton, how confident are you in, in Derby getting what they need to stay above Peterborough now that we've got ourselves our noses ahead 50-50 I would say um I mean I'm more confident that Peterborough will probably drop points <laughs> rather than Derby yeah. winning their last two games I had a look, little look at Peterborough's recent form against the the top six by my reckoning they haven't actually picked up a single point away from home against any of the top six so far so that game away at Barnsley on the final day um, could kind of work really in our favour. I know we've got Sheffield Wednesday away from home, but if we're in that sixth position come the final day, then hopefully that that will be enough. I obviously don't want it to go down to the final day because anything can happen, especially if Barnsley haven't got a huge amount to play for. But I, I, I think I'm relatively confident with the, the home game against Portsmouth, I, I, given that they've, they've got nothing to play for. It, it is a tough game because Portsmouth have been a, a much improved side since Moussinho came in um, in January. They've been one of the better teams in the division and have gone a little bit under the radar, actually. They, they were miles behind the top six when he came in and that they almost forced themselves into contention and they're really building something for for next season so it's it's definitely not a foregone conclusion but given the fact it's at home you expect the fans to be massively up for it if we can get three points uh next weekend then hopefully that's going to be enough i would say 78 points should be enough for sixth place uh we want to be looking at 79 or or even obviously 81 points if we're going to finish fifth and therefore potentially avoid Sheffield Wednesday. Um, I actually think playing Sheffield Wednesday would be better than playing Barnsley uh, if we were to get in there. I think one win will be enough uh, to get us over, even if it does does go into that last day. Just think Barnsley on such a good run of form and obviously if they beat Ipswich in their game in hand uh, over Sheffield Wednesday in, I think it's on Wednesday, if they do that, then they're they're right in the chance for top two. It's, It's still unlikely, but... Um, they've got a real opportunity. So that last game will be massive for them and they'll be they'll be well up for it. So 
keep an eye on Barnsley, I would say. Um, I think if we beat Portsmouth on the weekend, I think that's playoffs uh, just about confirmed. Yeah, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you who you'd rather play, who you'd rather play in the playoffs in the second. Who, who do you think is gonna make top two then? Um, it's tough, isn't it? Because a team like Plymouth, like, I thought they were falling away and stuff, and then they've come back again. Um, I think Ipswich have been the form side recently at the top of that, so I would, like, I think Ipswich will make it. Um, I do think Barnsley could actually beat them at, uh, in the week. Sheffield Wednesday have had a fantastic season and finished with ninety six points and still finished third. So I'm going to stick with it being Plymouth and Ipswich. I think Ipswich will overtake Plymouth uh, to finish in the uh, finish top of the pile, and that's going to be what I, I reckon. Yeah, I, I tend to agree, I think. Um, I mean, I, I can't see Ipswich falling out of the top two now. They've just been so relentless um, since the turn of the year. They've been comfortably the, the best team in the league and, and I'd be very surprised if they dropped out now. So it's a it's a fight for, for second spot, really. Um, and I, I, I think, and, and I hope as well, that Plymouth have have enough in the tank. They've been so good at home this season. They've got, I mean, two home games left um, in, in the remainder of the season against Bristol Rovers and Burton. You'd expect them to pick up six points from from those two games and then it comes down to a, an away game at Port Vale on the final day. Port Vale have, have kind of struggled in, in recent months despite having a, a great start to the season. So I wouldn't be surprised if they picked up nine points from the last three games. Clearly, at, at this stage of the season, you never know what's going to happen. But I, I, I think it will be Ipswich and Plymouth, and, and I definitely hope it, it will be as well. I definitely, yeah, I think I agree with you. I think Barnsley just got too much to do. Um, to, 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 they'd have to beat Ipswich, don't they, really? And and then take it from there. But Barnsley are definitely a team I want to avoid in the playoffs. I'm with you guys. I think unless we can somehow find a way to get Bolton, which I don't think is almost really possible, Um well, Sheffield Wednesday over Barnsley for me in terms of who I'd like us to play in the playoffs is, is where I'm sat at the moment. I don't I don't fancy us getting anything against Barnsley over two legs, having us play, having seen us play them this season, and and they've been really good second half of the season. Sheffield Wednesday I think can be got at, and they'll they'll be gutted they've not made the top two if that's the case. And depending how that that game that last game of the season goes, I just fancy us to do a job on Wednesday much more than doing a job on Barnsley. Is that how you guys see it? Yeah, I, I agree with that. I, I think I'd much rather go to, to Hillsborough than Oakwell. I wouldn't fancy our chances going away to Barnsley. But playing Barnsley at Wembley is is probably a different story. And, and on a one-off game um, in that occasion, you, you never know what can happen. So I, I, I definitely agree that I'd rather play Wednesday, but only on current form, to be honest, because if you'd said this, I don't know, four months ago, it would have been a no-brainer that you'd always take Barnsley. So it's 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 a tricky one. I don't think either would be an easy game, but I, I think I'd, I'd just sway towards Wednesday. I agree with you, Coach. Yeah, I agree with that too. But don't forget, in January, we beat Barnsley in the Cup 3-0 and absolutely destroyed them. And we also beat them in the league like was it maybe December, January time as well? Like so, we've beaten them twice this season, and yes, they gave us a, a good old turning over. But we had a few injuries, few issues at that time, and then we put in a poor performance, and we did miss some chances in that game um, as well. It could have been maybe slightly different, but I think Barnsley have been really impressive since sort of January, February. Um, Sheffield Wednesday have had a, a brilliant season. Don't forget, there were twenty two games unbeaten until what nine, ten games ago. Um, and they've fallen off a little bit, but they've still got 90 points, potentially getting 96 points this season. Neither game's going to be easy, and Hillsborough will be absolutely rocking. So the the reason why I'd go Sheffield Wednesday is because of that recent form, but also, whilst I say Hillsborough will be absolutely rocking, if we can go there, get an early goal, and then frustrate them, and Joe Wildsmith can do his 
usual tricks, <laughs> Hillsborough will suddenly turn into a frustrated cauldron rather than a boiling cauldron. Um, and I think that could work in our favour. So I will just end on this uh, hypothetical scenario that uh, Joseph G, uh, otherwise known as Singapore Joe, gave us on our Discord uh, this morning, which is imagine this scenario, last day of the season versus, of course, Sheffield Wednesday. They're guaranteed to finish third and we're guaranteed to finish sixth, which is, which is possible. And these are your three options, boys. Would you A, play the kids so no one gets injured and potential tactics can be saved for the playoff game versus Wednesday? B, play a full-strength team to hopefully beat them and knock their confidence or see something else. Ordinarily, in these situations, I like to, to keep momentum up with your form and play a good team, try and win, like get the upper hand before going into the playoffs and, and kind of keep confidence high. However, given how the last couple of months have gone and, and, and the, the squad that we've got, we need a bit of a rest, to be honest, and and it's such a thin squad anyway that a couple of knocks or a couple of tired legs out there is going to play a massive part in the playoff campaign. So I think I'd probably steer towards option A of, of playing a, a understrength side, rest a lot of the key players. I mean, especially the likes of McGoldrick. Um, you don't want to be losing him on the final day um, for, a, for a playoff campaign. So there might be a couple of couple of first team players that you want to kind of keep keep in form like people like Jason Knight who's never going to lose energy um, might be a good option but I'd I'd rather play the kids and uh, keep a fully fit squad for the playoffs if we're, if we're in the playoffs on the last day uh, Collins in for McGoldrick and Barkhausen in for Mendes Lang but apart from that keep it the same we've not been playing this system for very long the 3-4-3 so we still need that the practice on that um, the players a lot of them are very young players and so a, a fit like Jason Knight, Max Bird, uh, Hayden Roberts, for example, the others are players that maybe you could interchange in. Like if Curtis Davis, for example, got injured, then we've obviously got Forsyth or even hopefully if Chester gets back fit as well, there's there's options in there um, to change things up. So yeah, I would the only two players I would be resting if we're we're certain, McGoldrick and Mendes Lang. Yeah, I'd agree with you, Tom. And I think yeah, the yeah, yeah, other thing to consider would be that that midfield too. Um, I'd probably play Bird and Harrahan if that's the way he's going and see how they get on against Wednesday and knowing that you could always change it if it doesn't work out and bring Corey Smith in for one of them as well. But obviously McGoldrick has to be wrapped up in Cornwall 100%. That's just a complete no-brainer. So let's win on Saturday and then we can start thinking in those terms. But anyway, thanks, uh, chaps. Uh, always good to, to have you on. Anton, enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Thanks very much. We're off for a, a nice uh, pub lunch with along with some shuffleboard, so it should be a good day. Oh, good stuff. And Tom, uh, good luck at the shuffleboard. Thanks very much. All the best. Mm-hmm.